Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here with today's guest in David Wright, Chief Commercial Officer of the U.S. Soccer Federation. David was previously at Minor League Baseball's headquarters, spent some time at MLS. Uh, we'll dive into his career a little bit. We'll, we'll touch on differences between soccer and baseball. Um, David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jake. Good to be here. Likewise. So, you know, as you think about your role in, in soccer and what you, the U.S. Soccer Federation stands for, um, commercialization can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, uh, just kind of high level. At the end of the day, what are you trying to do in order to grow the sport, grow the brand, um, and, and ultimately imp impact and influence people? Well, that's a college course in and of itself, I might add. Um, <laughs> You know, at the end of the day, Jake, you know, our mission is to make the sport of soccer the preeminent sport in this country. And I think um, the sport has come a long way. I mean, I've been involved in and out for a number of years. And just to see the rise of the game at every level has been really exciting. But but we got a long way to go. You know, so from where I sit, you know, in, in the, the U.S. soccer uh, position within the overall soccer ecosystem, you know, we're waking up every single day thinking about how do we grow the game? You know, and we've got a lot of membership organizations. We've got a lot of uh, stakeholders that, you know, day in and day out contribute to the growth of the game. And, and hopefully if we're doing our job, we're helping support those efforts day in and day out. You know, we're a 501c3, an NGB. So, you know, the commercial side of the business is really important and really serves to provide the resources both on and off the field. I mean, a lot of people focus on the, what we call inside the white lines or the sporting side of, of our business, which is critically important, you know, how we perform at the national team level. But that's a, that's a piece to a much larger puzzle. And the resources that we generate go to fuel the growth in, in all the other areas, whether it's our extended national teams, our membership organizations, our coaching programs, our referee uh, initiatives. I mean, there's so much that goes into U.S. soccer, and the resources are critically important to be able to fulfill uh, those efforts. So it's, yeah, a, it's a daunting task, but one, one we're excited to get after. You mentioned college course. You, you did mention a lot, and I'm sure we could do probably 10 different episodes on, on the topics you just mentioned. But when you think about being a 501c3 and ultimately trying to grow the game in, um, in a sport that, quite frankly, has the world's audience, right? But domestically, we've got the other football um, that captures captures Sundays and, and a lot of the other days of the week. So how do you go about trying to reach the audiences that are not only domestic, but internationally as well? Yeah, well, I think it starts in this country. I mean, we've got a massive, massive opportunity and a significant fan base already. And we're very fortunate, you know, if you look at, you know, division one professional soccer in this country with MLS and NWSL, I mean, the rise of those two leagues alone in recent years is nothing but astounding, you know, but beyond that, you know, look at what USL is doing, look at some of the other professional leagues. So we now have day in and day out professional leagues that in their own local communities are incredibly relevant, you know, and that's, that's important as we think about the growth of the game. Um, we're also having commercial partners, you know, brands are taking a look at soccer and, and they think about their business objectives. And unfortunately, soccer is, is becoming increasingly 
higher on their radar in terms of where they invest and who they align with to drive value for their respective brands. You look at media, you know, the, the, the sport of soccer has never been covered more in this country. Um, and, and that's a byproduct of just the demand, you know, so whether it's Saturday and Sunday mornings on the NBC network and, and Premier League, whether it's the game of the week for MLS or NWSL, whether it's ESPN's relationship with USL, whether it's college soccer and, and the role they play from a content standpoint, consumption of soccer content is, is critically important. And then for us, you know, we're, we're focused, we've got some of the best athletes in the world on the women's, the women's side, on the men's side. So how do we make them household names? How do we elevate their profile? All contributes to driving engagement and fandom for our sport. But I gotta tell you, you know, we've made tremendous progress in a, in a pretty short period of time. And if that's any indication, I think the future looks really, really bright for the sport of soccer in this country. No doubt. And, and you mentioned earlier kind of the impact in the local communities. You obviously have quite, quite a bit of experience in that coming from the minor league baseball world where, you know, there's 160 different communities that you're dealing with. And uh, each and every single one of them is a little bit unique, right? Soccer in California is different than it is in Florida than it is in New York. And so as you're thinking about how you go about impacting each, each community, what's the biggest difference in your days at minor league baseball versus you know, ultimately kind of an international domestic, um, you know, reach. You know, Jake, you, you hit the nail on the head with minor league baseball. I mean, what an incredible five years for me, one that I'll look back on really fondly. You know, and I used to say that minor league baseball is to sports what craft beer is to the beer industry, meaning, you know, you go to Asheville, North Carolina, there's a local IPA for you in Asheville. You know, you go to El Paso, there's a local brewery in El Paso. And minor league baseball was exactly the same way. The experience you had in El Paso was different than in Asheville. Um, and it really was special and something that made minor league baseball so unique to have 160 markets that were really, really true and authentic to their local market. You know, for us, you know, it's it's a little bit different because it's a global game, you know, and and you know, I think the big opportunity for, for U.S. soccer is for a long time, U.S. soccer has been a property that has uh, broken through with high profile events. You know, it, we've got a World Cup qualifier in Columbus. We've got a friendly against Brazil uh, in New York, you know, but I think the big opportunity is how do we take what are high profile events and extend to be an engagement opportunity for 365 days out of the year. You know, when you think about this massive soccer following that we see in this country, when you think about the rise of our national teams on the field, when you think about the power of content and the storytelling that goes along with our sport, you know, we're really focused on how do we extend that engagement throughout the year? Obviously it's gonna peak, um, you know, around, World Cup qualifying or She Believes Cup, which uh, kicks off in a couple of weeks in Orlando, um, but but really becoming this 365-day fan engagement property, I think is a massive area of opportunity and one that we're spending a lot of time thinking about. And, and when you think about the big events, right, whether it be the Olympics, the World Cup, um, and all of the different, you know, countries that they're playing in, how do you, in a sense, create that commercialization, that um, 
brand and and kind of notoriety in other countries right it's one thing to create it in the u.s but then when they go and play in qatar new zealand or you know tokyo right the u.s then represents there while they're playing and to the rest that are watching so how do you go about you know positioning again kind of differently where you're in you're in you know someone else's backyard yeah i i think you know, that's that's an area of opportunity for us. I think I'll go back to Jake, my comment about, you know, our country's massive. We've got 350 million people. Um, you know, we've got a huge opportunity, you know, of, of growth ahead of us. You know, when we go and, and, and compete, I mean, our, our men played over in, in Austria not, not long ago, you know, that serves as a showcase opportunity in that country. But the beauty of, of content is it's shown around the world, you know, and, and the storylines and the highlights, you know, that's consumed, you know, obviously back in the US, but throughout the world and, and serves as an opportunity to forge those connections that are so critically important to driving fandom. Um, but where we're keenly focused is on the US and how do we, US soccer become this united force? You know, when you think about um, the opportunity to unite culture, um, I might be a little biased, but what other property is best positioned to, to be that uniting force? You know, and it doesn't matter if, you know, uh, you grew up in Lakewood, Ohio, or Eugene, Oregon, or San Bernardino, California, and you're in a second generation Mexican-American. You know, if you're a fan of soccer, there's an opportunity for us to engage and be a team for you. It may not be your first team, but there is an opportunity for us to engage uh, with you as a soccer fan. And, and that's where we're focused. And I think um, I'm really excited about what lies ahead in that regard. You've got such a, a deep understanding of, you know, the culture, the, how the game works. Uh, you were a college soccer player at IU. Um, you were able to coach a little bit in your time at UMass as, as a GA. And I got to ask, in terms of the playing experience and the coaching experience and and Obviously, if you get to that level, you had to have had quite the experience as a, as a youth player as well. What did that do for you, whether it was, you know, in your seat um, working at MLS or, or in the seat you're in now to give you a different perspective on, you know, how things have changed over X amount of years? You know, Jake, I'm, I'm a firm believer that what you see on the athletic field, the court um, is 100% transferable to the business setting. So as an athlete, I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, so a lot of my formative years were in Nebraska, which, you know, my friends in Nebraska will kick me. It's, it's not widely known to be a soccer power, although there's been some talented folks that have come out. I then went to Kansas City for high school, and then I went off to IU. And every step along the way, I had people that believed in me. I had people, for whatever reason, see opportunity and invest in my development. Um, and then when I got to IU, it was, you know, I, I went from being a, a, a bigger fish in a smaller pond to now being a minnow in an, in an ocean, you know, with a recruiting class of 17 people. And, and it was tough. You know, I had, I had some tough moments where I was like, holy cow, am I good enough to play at a, a, a top five division one program? And, and it made me better. And I persevered. And, and I look back on those days you know, I'm in large part who I am based on those experiences. Um, I go off to UMass because at the time I thought I wanted to coach collegiately. And while I chose to pursue the business side of sport, I often say that, you know, what I've done over the last 20 years is, is, is coaching. It's just a different environment. 
So, you know, learning those intangibles, you know, those things that you pick up along the way that, that you may not be able to teach, but you, you have and you develop, you know, it's passion, it's, it's how do you relate to people? Are you a leader? You know, what do you do when the going gets tough? I mean, those things are all so transferable to real world in the business setting. Um, and then the, the power of coaching, you know, the power of surrounding yourself with, with the best talent you possibly can. They're going to challenge you as a leader or as a coach. Um, you know, those are the things that I take from my playing days um, that have made me, you know, who I am today. And, and I'm so thankful and grateful for those experiences. I love the coaching analogy because I like to say that, and we'll see if you agree, but I like to say that scouting is a lot like sales, right? It's just yeah. a different context. And so whether it's coaching versus leading, you know, in the, in the business side, I think a lot of people sometimes when they're looking at different career paths, they get hung up on, you know, oh, this one's in the office and it's in front of a computer all the time versus being out on a field. And yes, certainly the context is different, but at the same time, you're dealing with the same intangibles, kind of like you mentioned, um, you know, whether it's in a team environment or you're all trying to work towards a greater purpose, um, you're trying to win a deal, right? Whatever the case might be. Can you elaborate a little bit on your coaching, you know, analogy and just how that coaching analogies maybe evolved over the years as well for you? Yeah, that's a great question, Jake. I mean, I, again, I go back to, I've been so fortunate to have people that I can learn from, you know, and that's from my high school coach, Tim Richardson, to the all-time winningest Division One soccer coach and Jerry Egley at IU, to some of my earlier, some of my early mentors at MLS, um, and, and, and the consistent theme in all that is that they, they truly took a vested interest in who I am and, and, and believed in me and gave me a shot and related to me. So, you know, taking those experiences, I've now been able to kind of come up with my own formula, you know, those things that really resonated with me that you could grab onto, you know, those coaches or those, those bosses or mentors that maybe rubbed you the wrong way, you also learn from that as well. And you, you kind of build your own management style. Um, then you layer on, you know, I learned very early on in my career that I wasn't always going to be the smartest person in the room, you know, and for some people that's really tough. They, they feel like they've got to be the guy or the woman. And, and the reality is, you know what, it's okay. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't always have to be the best at every single skill. And if you have the confidence enough in yourself to kind of get over that hump, then I think it opens up a whole new world from a management standpoint. You know, then you're comfortable bringing in people, adding to your team that actually are better than you, you know? And, 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 and that was a very, very seminal moment for me in my management kind of development. And then, you know, learning the power of diversity of thought. You know, I often say that when I'm, hiring. I'm not out there hiring the next Dave Wright. I've got Dave Wright covered. I'm hiring, you know, the next Jake or the next, you know, you know, Zaylene or the next whomever it may be, um, because it's the varied experiences. It's the outside perspective and it's the collection of all of that that gives your organization the best opportunity for success. Um, if there's 17 Dave Wrights walking around, I mean, you might do some things well, but you might fail miserably in other things. And, and so just having that perspective, I think has really helped me. And, and then just, you know, um, getting out of the way, you know, hiring really good people, taking a vested interest in their development, um, having tough conversations when you need to, 
um, you know, you know, building people up when they when they crush it. You know, those are all just fundamental things that go into management and coaching. I mean, if you look at the best coaches on the planet, you know, some of those intangibles, some of those traits ring true and it's worked for me. And, you know, I can honestly say that, you know, probably the, the, the greatest thing that has contributed to my success over the years has been my ability to relate to people, my ability to identify incredible high performing talent and my ability to, to manage a team to success. I mean, it's so critically important, um, you know, in, in business uh, and, and, and will likely only get more important as we look post COVID. Let's talk about that recruiting piece. Cause it's not, it's not an easy one. Right. And it's, and you know, there's up and comers, there's people that have been around the block and, and done X, Y, and Z. And you mentioned that, that phrase diversity of thought, right. To know that someone could come from outside the sports industry and help tremendously in what you're doing. Um, because at the end of the day, it's a business. Yes. There's contextual aspects to the field and, and wins and all that, but at the end of the day, you're running a business. So as you're seeing the business evolve and have seen it evolve over the last you know, 20 years of your career, what, is, what are the biggest gaps or areas that students could focus on um, that you know, are evolving to where you might need to go outside the industry and get someone who has different expertise? Yeah, I, um, it's funny. I, I literally just had a very similar conversation to a rising star UMass star, I might add, uh, just the other day. Um, and, and my advice was, you know, and I see this happen a lot. You see a lot of really talented folks looking to make an, a, a jump into the industry and they're really focused on a, on a specific role and a specific area of the business. And, and my advice is that's great, but the reality is your ability to land the perfect job starting out is not likely. You know, I consider, what happened for me, very atypical and very, very lucky. You know, going from UMass, graduating May 19th and starting May 22nd in MLS was an ideal like dream job for a soccer guy, but that's very rare. So what, where should you focus? And my advice is, you know, it's all about the people. So how do you align with, you know, people that are gonna challenge you, people that are gonna take a vested interest in your development, people that are gonna give you room to fall down and help you get back up, people matter. And, and putting yourself in an environment where you can connect with really, really authentic, meaningful people that'll take a best interest, very important. Closely tied to that is the environment that's gonna give you a, a varied uh, set of experiences, you know, where you actually can take ownership, you know? And, and, and I think back on my career at MLS, I mean, candidly, I was given opportunities well before I, I was, you know, qualified to have them. But that's really the byproduct and the benefit of being with a growth organization. So if you can put yourself in an environment where you're surrounded by people that are incredibly talented, they're gonna push you, they're gonna give you opportunities, take a best in interest in an environment where you can spread your wings a bit and, and, and find out what you like, what you don't like, what you're good at, what you're not good at. To me, those two things trump anything else, you know? And unfortunately, you see a lot of folks make short-term decisions because they're so focused on getting the, the perfect job or they're gonna make you know, a few more thousand dollars over here. At the end of the day, it's so immaterial in the grand scheme, in the grand scheme of things. You know, this is a marathon, you know, it's not a sprint. And you know, I think 
I have seen that play out. Uh, I know it was very important for me, and and you know I've, I've I've seen others follow follow suit as well. When you talk about the the coaching aspect of it and making sure that there the environment is is right, right for you, right? Because the environment that's right for you is different than the environment that might be right for me and and the person um, to your left or right. And so when you think about the right questions to ask, um, to figure out if an environment is right for you, what are the couple of things that go through your mind in trying to figure that out as opposed to just getting in, <laughs> figuring it out? Maybe it's, maybe it's not the right thing six months in and you're, you know, you're going to something different. Yeah, I mean, I think it varies for each individual. I think, um, you know, I've always been a big believer of, of open and honest conversations. And I think, um, you know, having one-on-one interactions with a prospective employer, I mean, you can tell. Um, we're also in an industry that's, that's fairly tight. Um, you know, uh, reputation matters. And so doing your homework, you know, if you're considering opportunities um, and you have or fortunate to have plural plural opportunities, um, you know, do your homework. Do your homework on, on the individuals that you would be aligning with, um, you know, because that, that matters. And, um, you know, everyone goes about it a different way. Um, that's how I would approach it. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, you get caught up with the logo, right? Or, or this title or that title, but to your point, the people, right? So if you can find out uh, through your network, more and more of the people um, and what's what's behind it, uh, I think ultimately will set you up a little bit better. So um, we'd love to move into some rapid fire just as we wrap up the episode. Oh um, you know, best soccer story in terms of the biggest failure you had on the field. Oh, man. Well, my uh, fourth game of my high school season as a senior, I broke my arm. So um, I was all high and mighty. I was feeling good. I had a number of opportunities um, that I was considering to play. And it was the fourth game of my senior year in high school. And I got all full of myself. I tried a bicycle and ended up with a compound fracture about 20 minutes into the game. Wow. That's, uh, you know, most, most would think maybe ACL, you know, ankle, but the arm. No, compound fracture nonetheless. So yeah, it was, and, and needless to say, I've never done a bicycle bicycle kick again, and our kids have never done a bicycle kick. <laughs> hey, you know, lesson learned, right? As you think about uh, the many different ballparks that you um, may have visited or teams that you may have worked with uh, on the minor league baseball side, what was your favorite one to visit? You know what? It probably was... Craig Brown, the owner of the Greenville Drive, is going to be very happy. It's probably Floor Field in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, which is a mini replica of Fenway Park. So I had never been to Greenville, South Carolina prior to my, my league baseball days. And I was absolutely blown away at that community and, you know, how tech forward and, and millennial and foodie and craft beer scene-y it was. I mean, it was just such a great vibe. And Fleur Field is right in the heart of Greenville, uh, beautiful ballpark uh, that really is kind of that communal hub, that front porch, as we often would talk about uh, for the city of Greenville and the state of South Carolina. And, and it was it was a special, special place. 
mini replica of Fenway would be pretty cool. Does anyone have a mini replica of Wrigley in the in the minor leagues? Not that I'm aware of. Not no, not that I'm aware of. But yeah, that's one of the that's one of the the traits of Lure Field. Interesting, so. interesting. You know, you used to play at uh, you know being a, a former baseball player, you used to play at this place called Field of Dreams, and they'd have all these replica fields, whether it be you know Crossley from like way back when and. And all those, but uh, playing at a mini mini Fenway would be pretty uh, interesting in the minor league side of things. Yeah. All right, best part about growing up in Lincoln, Nebraska? Oh, that's a no. Well, a couple of things. One, huge Husker fan, even to this day, despite how challenging it is being a Husker fan. But when I was growing up, I mean, it was the heart of the Tom Osborne days. You know, the Mike Rozier, Turner Gills, Scott Frost. Ironically, was a big deal growing up. Um, you know, my family still lives there. Um, and then Runza's. I mean, if you've been to Lincoln, you got to go get a Runza, uh, which is a kind of funky, doughy hamburger sauerkraut type thing. But they're absolutely fantastic. And, and uh, I have fond memories from going to Runza as a, as a little one. I haven't, haven't been to Lincoln, but I know that I'll, that's what I'm going to have to look out for. There when you got to do it. One, wonderful. Um, all right. Last thing. You know, as you think about um, the the world of soccer, and there's plenty, just like any other sport, plenty of idols that you might have. Um, who's who's the up and coming idol that you think a lot of uh, you know younger players might might gravitate towards in the future? As from a player standpoint, from a player standpoint. You know what? There's a lot. Um, you know, I think on the women's side, you know, someone like a Rose Lavelle, you know, so she's a player that grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, that, you know, is so talented and so dynamic on the field. Um, I think really speaks to, on so many levels, the female athlete in this country, you know, and, and if you're a young player, you know, competing every single day. I mean, you look up to a player like that. Um, I think on the men's side, you know, you've got a lot of, a lot of folks, um, you know, we've got 10 players playing in the Champions League right now. So whether it's a, your Serginio Dest at Barcelona, it's a Weston McKinney at Juventus, it's a Christian Pulisic at, at Chelsea. Um, you know, and I think that's a really important development that, you know, on, on the female and male side, you know, we've got global stars now, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's much different than when I was growing up. I mean, I, was, I grew up at a time in between the NASL and MLS. And so major indoor soccer league was, I mean, it was it, you know, so the Steve Jungles of the world, uh, which you probably have no idea who that is, but, um, you know, we actually have, you know, some world-class players on the male and female side that, you know, serve as that, that, you know, inspiration for the next generation, which I think is really powerful. Um, and it's a credit to, to the development system in this country and, and, you know, the role that our, our professional leagues play in developing players and, and propping them up and, and promoting them. You know, it's all part of, it's all part of the master plan, but it's an exciting time. I got to tell you, it's an exciting time to be a player in this country and it's an exciting time to be a fan. Absolutely. Well, and we had, you know, we had Jess, Jess Smith from Angel City on from the NWSL. We had Mitch Pohl on just recently. Yeah. You know, exciting, exciting things on that front, right? You know, you have the, 
the Olympics, the World Cups coming up, a lot of momentum on the side of soccer and just really excited to see it grow. I know, you know, the USL continues to grow with more and more teams and, um, you know, they're, they're popping up in communities where you know, you've got these fan bases that are um, not only the types of fan bases that you typically see, you know, at, at some of the MLS teams and the Sounders, but they've got, to your point, similar to that minor league uh, type of feel, they've got their own unique community, you know, fan base um, that, you know, hopefully uh, as it continues to build, it will be similar to minor league baseball where you go to each, each place and it's that unique uh, experience for every individual. 100%, 100%. Awesome. Well, David, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed hearing your insights uh, on kind of the future of soccer, um, some of the coaching analogies, and I know that a uh, few might steal that one or two. Um, look forward to having you on again in the future. Thanks, Jake. Really appreciate it. Best of luck.